how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. For nearly a decade, Dr. Benjamin Hardy felt a lack of purpose in his life. But thanks to a church mission, he started journaling, found an interest in psychology, and then decided to become an author while raising a family and acquiring his doctorate, despite the odds of achieving this goal in traditional publishing. In 2015, Hardy started blogging because he knew it was a potential route to becoming an author. Through the website Medium, he built a massive following, literally becoming the number one writer on the platform and achieved his goal of finding an agent and publishing books in the traditional manner. In addition to his first book, Willpower Doesn't Work, the author has recently published Personality Isn't Permanent. In the book, he draws on psychological research to demolish the popular misconception that personality, a person's consistent attitudes and behaviors, is innate and unchanging. In this interview, Hardy discusses deliberate practice, why writers often avoid goal setting, lessons he learned from Ron Holiday, how to reverse engineer goals to find a process, why writers must be authentic today more than ever, what he means by strategic ignorance, and why kids shouldn't take the Myers-Briggs personality test. Basically, when I was 20 years old, I decided to serve a church mission, which was huge for me because I came from a pretty tough background. A lot of, you know, when my parents got divorced, which was when I was 11, my parent, my father became a drug addict. Like, my life became pretty intense, uh, basically from age 11 to age 20. And I, I don't know how I graduated high school, to be honest with you, but I was kind of just distracted and purposeless with my life, playing a lot of World of Warcraft, not really doing anything and just not necessarily finding happiness in my life. So I ended up kind of connecting back with my, my faith, ended up serving a church mission. And that was really interesting for me. Just, you know, serving, I actually was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but just getting to be exposed to a lot of things I wasn't aware of, reading good books. Uh, that's where I really started journaling. And yeah, I don't know. I just fell in love with learning. And I watched myself change a lot as a person, which got me into psychology. 
And so I would say that's that's what led me into psychology and many other experiences led me to choosing organizational psychology, which is more the business side of it. So I I would say that it's a blend of things, one being kind of my background in like spirituality and and my faith. The other one would be just my love of of psychology and and learning and growth. So, uh, you know, like for me, writing is an interesting thing. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself like a, a trained writer, although you know, I think it's something you can get better at and I've gotten a lot of good mentoring, but I'm very purposeful with my writing. Like I write about things that to me matter and things that I believe could be helpful or just things that need to be said. So I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I approach writing. So you became one of the number one writers on medium, your works full of very powerful messages and stories, but to display those, obviously you have to get noticed. What are some of the steps you took to, uh, to get noticed on platforms like medium or other social media? I'm a big believer that the goal shapes the process. And I think a lot of writers are obsessed with the process and, and they even avoid goal setting because there's like a bad name to it or, they don't want to. They don't want to turn their creativity into something specific. But you know, again, I've studied the psychology of this for a long time. Like, without having a clear future self in mind, it's really hard to be motivated. It's hard to go through what's called deliberate practice, which is essentially the development of expertise. So for me, I started blogging online in 2015, and I never actually wanted to be a blogger. Uh, I was very clear that I wanted to write books and I wanted to be an author. I did not want to be a blogger, but I, but after asking a lot of people, so my, my future self at the time was someone who was a professional writer, someone who was worth one of the big five publishers. This was just my goal and the person I wanted to become after asking people how to actually get there, it became obvious to me that I needed to become a blogger <laughs> because I needed to build a platform and I need, you know, the goal shapes the process. And so I, I, I had the goal so I could reverse engineer the process. And so basically Um, you know, you have to be clear on the outcome that you want on your future self, on the person you want to be. And that includes your circumstances and situations. You know, you have the more specific, the goal, the more focused can be the process. For me, it was, I wanted to be a traditionally published author with one of the big five. Um, you know, if I had a different, you know, there's not, my goal is not better than anyone else's goal. It's just, that was my chosen goal. And so if your goal is not to do that, but maybe it's to sell a million ebooks, that's going to be a totally different process. But you have to actually choose a goal that's meaningful, which, you know, there's a lot of good research on this, but you need actually a goal. You need hope in the future. You need a purpose to have grit and you need that to, to have purpose and to go through the learning process. And so, you know, it became obvious to me that I needed at least a hundred thousand email subscribers to achieve my goal. And so once I knew that I needed 100,000 email subscribers or more, that's, that's what led me to my education, which was how do I do that? That's what led me to John Morrow's course. That's what led me to studying people like Seth Godin and ultimately studying headlines and studying article structure and figuring out how, you know, reading Russell Brunson's book, which taught me how to um, send people to landing pages and capture emails. Um, so all of my process was shaped by my commitment to my goal and ultimately then you just have to get better at what you're doing. You know, I know a lot of people who've been writing on medium.com since I was writing on it for the last five years, they haven't made meaningful progress. And I think a big part of that's because they're not willing to admit what they really want. What they, what they would love to do is do it full time. What they would love to do is to make great money doing it, but they've convinced themselves of a narrative that 
it's better to be, you know, like a broke, starving artist to some degree. Um, so, so I think you, you have to get good at marketing. You've got to get good at headlines. You know, I've written certain articles where, you know, I'll write an article and it'll get like 10,000 views. I'll republish the exact same article a month later, but with a different headline and it'll get over a hundred thousand views. So headlines matter. Article structure matters. Wanting your work to be read matters. Um, being willing to be a little bit bolder with your messaging, saying something you really care about, something that maybe scares you a little bit. Last week, I actually wrote something on psychology today, you know, within an hour or within, within 24 hours, it had been read over a hundred thousand times. But, um, I knew it was a punchy one, you know, like I've got a new book coming out called personality isn't permanent. And the article I wrote was called, don't give your, don't let your kids, you know, take the Myers-Briggs test. And I was pretty blunt and bold in the article. And I think that, uh, you know, one thing I learned from Ryan holiday was when you're writing an article, you should dare people to click on it. And so it has a lot to do with your courage, has a lot to do with your commitment to your vision, has a lot to do with your willingness to get better results and to not just be okay with where you're at. So you've written, you've written publicly about a lot of your story. What was some of the trial and error after you got where you wanted to get as far as the list and the platform and some of those things? Like, what was it like actually getting a treatment? How many, you know, were you set in a way to leverage yourself or did you still have a, a ton of work to do to get to do the traditional publishing route? I still didn't know what I was doing. You know, but yeah, once my work was being read by millions and millions of people and it was getting, you know, um, syndicated on multiple platforms, it was kind of all over the place, you know, Huffington Post, Business Insider, Forbes, etc. cetera. Uh, yeah, I had a few inquiries. I had a, an ebook that I'd written called Slipstream Time Hacking. It was just an ebook that I published for a long time. That was my free giveaway. Then I learned that ebooks are not really the best thing to give away. You should give away short checklists or cheat sheets or something that's really short. Um, but yeah, I had an editor at Portfolio, which is the publisher I'm with right now. That's an imprint of Penguin Random House. He had read Slipstream Time Hacking, actually, uh, which was, a, you know, and he read that and he just loved it. And then he found my work on Medium and he said, look, if you ever want to do a traditionally published book, he's like, I don't know if you have an agent, but I would love, um, you know, I would love to be the editor of your next book if you want to. I really like your ebook. And it was literally probably within a month of that. And my work was really kind of blowing up. And at that time, that was kind of near the end of 2016. I was publishing all the time, um, you know, probably three or three, probably four or five times a week on Medium. And just, you know, all my stuff back then was getting read like 40,000 40, to 100,000 times every article. But um, I also had an editor from Hachette, which is one of the big five, read one of my articles. And she just said, I love this article. Um, you know, do you have an eight? One thing I also did which is really important is it's really important to be explicit about your goals. Uh, I had read, I think on Derek Sivers blog, he said, I think there was somewhere on his blog where he said what he was up to. I forget. I think it was called now or something like, I really forget what it, it was because it was years ago, but I think there was just a, a page on Derek Sivers website where he said, this is what I'm focused on right now. And I, I, I decided to add that page to my, at the time, really terrible website. But one of the things that I said was, is I'm working on a book proposal and I'm, and I'm, you know, looking, looking to get traditionally published. I just said that on my website. 
so that if any editors or agents or things like that were had come across my work and they looked at my website almost front and center, it said, this is what I'm working on. I'm writing blog posts on Medium. I'm finishing my PhD. I've got three foster kids. I'm also working on a book proposal, looking to become a traditionally published author in the near future. Like just being really explicit and honest about my goals. I think that that's crucial. Uh, it's just being open and honest about what you're trying to do. And so I, because that was on my website, I had a few inquiries and, uh, Ultimately, because I had options, I reached out to Ryan Holiday and I said, look, I've got like these two editors from these big publishers reaching out to me. What should I do? I don't have a I don't have a proposal, you know, and so I worked with him on on my proposal for what became Willpower Doesn't Work. And then he helped me get an agent. And, you know, we pitched it off to multiple publishers and I decided to go with Hachette with that first book. So let's talk about your new book. Um, One of my favorite lines is personality tests are fast food for the soul. It begins with a personal story, but tell me a little bit more about what led to writing this particular book. I just feel like the subject is so hot and trendy. You know, it's got it's got the ability to hit a lot of social notes. Um, And it, it also provides an opportunity to teach several ideas that I wanted to teach. You know, I didn't write I didn't set out to write a book about personality tests. And, you know, if if you read the book, which sounds like you have, like, that's actually a small section of the book, but it, that's probably the hottest topic of the book, um, just because they're so popular. But the reason I wrote this book in a lot of ways was because I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. It's the number, I'm actually re-listening to it right now. And it's, what's cool is that the guy who did that audiobook is actually did the audio. He did the audiobook of Personality Isn't Permanent, but, um, you know, from that book, I learned that trauma shapes personality so much. And I kind of already knew that, but that book really helped me understand why, you know, unresolved trauma traps you in the past. It shatters your hope and your confidence for the future, leads you to becoming emotionally rigid where you kind of stay in your comfort zone. And personality and comfort zone are pretty similar concepts. And so I just felt like, and my book's not about trauma, although that's a big section as well, but I just felt like There's so many false narratives about what personality is, which I think lead to a fixed mindset. And so I just felt like I wanted to drill into the subject and explain away all the myths and share with people what this thing actually is, that it can and does change, that you could be proactive about it. And I just felt like it could be a tool for teaching several really good ideas and kind of dispelling several myths. So, yeah, I just wanted to show people why why it's easy to get stuck and why you don't have to and how you can unresolve or how you can resolve even some of the worst things that have happened to you. See, what are some of your thoughts about putting in personal stories? Is this is this kind of just accepted today? Is this more just about your your style or is it like expected to to be that form of authenticity um in the way that writers are expected to write today? I think it's expected. I think that people want transparency. I didn't do it for a long time. You know, like I actually got criticized in the beginning for a lot of my work on Medium because I didn't insert myself enough, you know, and I've been told by many mentors that it's it's wise to actually like have a personality <laughs> and to be a person and for people to connect you as the author. Um, and you know, I read the book Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins while I was reading this book. And obviously that book is radically personal, radically transparent. And I didn't want to go that far. But at the same time, I wanted to be open and honest that I'm a human being, that I've gone through this stuff myself. And I think that it's just honestly, from my perspective, a part of the healing process. You know, like when you're open and honest about what you've gone through or what you're going through, then it becomes less painful. It becomes less 
you know, it, it becomes something you have control over the narrative. Um, and you can use it, obviously, to connect with the audience. The audience wants to know who you are. Uh, they want to know that you're a human being, not just. So I, I think it's beneficial. You know, I, I try not to overly insert myself into my work, but I've definitely become more comfortable putting myself, my situation, my past, even my goals into my writing. You mentioned um, a little bit later in the book, you talk about a culture wall that's sort of like a North Star to yours and your family's values. The one that stood out to me probably the most is better prolific than perfect. Can you talk a little bit about the culture wall and what that expression or that phrase means to you? Yeah, culture walls are created by the gaping uh, by a company called Gaping Void. They, I mean, they create, they help people create cultures. And one of the things that they do is they help people create you know, obviously like a belief system or a value system. And then they turn that into what they call semiotics, which is basically purposeful art, you know, like the swastika or like the cross, the star of David, those are, those are symbols with a lot of meaning. And so what they do is, is they help people create symbolic, meaningful, you know, thing, you know, artwork to some degree, and then with powerful statements. And so, you know, I have an article, which if people want to see it, it's called these 20 pictures will teach you more than reading a hundred books. That, that article has been read over a million times, but it even has a picture of my kids holding some of our culture tiles. But yeah, it's just, it was just a way for me to kind of in a fun way, put a lot of my favorite ideas on our wall and it looks really cool. And you know, my kids then become exposed to these ideas where it's not me preaching at them, but it's more just their teaching. And, it, you know, when you create an environment, you know, then can kind of get embedded into the subconscious of you where it's just something that sticks with you a little bit more. Uh, one of the concepts on our culture wall is that one that you've described better prolific than perfect and better prolific than perfect is just an idea, you know, that better done than perfect in many ways. You know, um, it's just about producing a high volume of work, which actually leads you to becoming successful at what you do. Uh, there's a connected quote in my mind, actually, and I've recently had, you know, gaping void, make me art about this one as well. But the quote is that a painting is never finished. It simply ends in an interesting place. And, you know, I think one of the big problems with myself and with other creative people is they're trying to finish something and nothing will ever be finished. It just ends. And, you know, like with willpower doesn't work as an example, like that book, I could easily still be working on that book. <laughs> like, you know, even though I finished it three years ago, it, you know, there's, I'm, I'm still learning endless things about willpower and about decision-making and about environment. And if I was still writing that book today, it would be a very different book. It'd probably even have a different title, um, but it would not be finished and it will never be finished. I just had to make it done. And it's kind of fun when you look back at old work because you can see it with new eyes. I mean, I'm a different writer even now than I was three years ago and even have slightly different philosophies than I did back then. My former self and my current self are two different people. And so I can see a lot of flaws in willpower doesn't work. And, um, you know, the version of me today with my knowledge and perspectives and even writing skills wouldn't have written that book today, but I'm glad it was finished or I'm sorry. I'm glad it was written. I'm glad it was done because it opened up a lot of doors for who I am today. And 
same principle for my future self. My future self may not actually fully agree with what's in personality isn't permanent because hopefully I'll have better perspectives then. But I'm glad that even though this painting will never be finished, you know, as far as personality isn't permanent, it ended in an interesting place and I just let it go. And it's better to be prolific than perfect. And so that's, that's kind of how I look at it is just don't be overly attached to your current work. Um, that's kind of the idea of a fixed mindset. You don't want to be so focused on who you are today. Just keep cranking out work and know that your future self is going to make better stuff. Is some of that idea go behind any possible restraints? You may feel like I think one of your first big articles was eight things to do before 8 a.m. I could see you kind of getting stuck into whatever was most successful, just copycatting that. Like just being prolific helps you kind of push those restraints. Yeah. Yeah. I think that an exciting fact that I have to constantly be reminded of, because even after publishing hundreds of articles, I can still get my way like overly analyzing an idea and then like worrying about if it's right or not, rather than just getting comfortable and flexible, pushing stuff out and just, you know, having more creative fun. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I think it is easy once, I mean, I see people do this all the time (laughs) where they have a single article that's really hit it. And then not only do they keep trying to re-replicate that, that structure, that idea, but, other people then jump on the bandwagon and all start creating their own version of it. You know what I mean? There's got to be hundreds of versions of eight things every person should do before 8 a.m. Um, so, yeah, I think that you can still apply the lessons learned, you know, like just as an idea, like listicle articles still work. <laughs> like, but you can't, you know, there's some people I know who they wrote one massive viral article and they're still defined by that one article you know, and they haven't done anything unique or creative since. And I think that you can apply principles, but at the same time, you want to keep pushing your boundaries and keep trying new things, keep trying, keep innovating. You know, I like being a kind of person who, yes, I learn from people as well, but I also like being someone who's kind of change making where like I'm setting the the standards or creating the innovations that then other people copy, you know, like, so that requires me to fail a lot. And I haven't been as focused on that in the blogging world for the last few years, but, um, you know, I think it's, it's good to learn from, from those successes, but definitely there's a trap as well. You mentioned Ron Holiday. He made a, a really interesting transition kind of from marketing writing to more like philosophy what else did you learn from him? Do you use a form of like commonplace books or the note card system or how do you organize all of the work that you do? I don't use the commonplace book like he does. Um, I usually do mind maps, um, or just create bulleted lists of ideas. Uh, I definitely, what I usually do honestly is I'll just publish articles with the quotes that I'm learning with them, you know? So rather than just having like a note card with a quote, I'll usually, if I find a really good quote, I'll write about it. Uh, so that I've already got some initial thoughts on it. Um, and then, you know, most of my, when I'm building out a book, for example, right now I'm writing the proposal for a book. So, and I'm right now writing a proposal for the next book, which, and that book's going to be called at least for now, bigger future, better present. But um, it's kind of built off of the quote from Dan Sullivan where he says, the only way you can make your present better is by making your future bigger. And there's, there's a lot of background. You know, I've been reading like Viktor Frankl a lot lately. And just there's a lot of now ideas that I'm building around that idea. So for me, a lot of it has to do with like, what are the ideas that are speaking to me most right now? Um, what are the ideas that I feel like need to be 
you know, said to further explain what I formerly said, like just as an example, like a lot of people who have read personalized and permanent, they're like, you know, you've really helped us understand the past. You've helped us design the future. What do we do with our present? You know, and I kind of explained that, but now I'm like, well, I think I need to better explain that. (laughs) Um, and so now I'm just building around that, you know, I've got the central nugget, which is the Dan Sullivan quote. Now it's just, how can I build, build a base around that? You know, I've got the research on um, deliberate practice. I've got Victor Frankl, you know, now I'm just kind of building the mind map around it, which ends up becoming the chapters, you know? Um, so I don't do note cards, but I kind of just have a central idea. And then I just try to build as much around it as I possibly can in the form of stories, research, different ideas. And I just think about angles that would be useful. Like one of the angles that I've been thinking about with this book that I'm currently referencing or thinking about writing is just like, people who go through something crazy, like they get paralyzed, you know, like concentration camps, one thing, like what happens with people who get paralyzed or like just lose a loved one? How do they maintain hope and optimism for the future? Um, just as a a single way of looking at the idea, obviously there's plenty of other ways, but I just, I just try to look at all the different ways in which an idea can be conveyed. And then I just create lists with bullets, you know, like, you know, I'll have a, a section on Frankl and I'll have like five quotes of his that matter. And then I'll like try to link as many, you know, forms of research to that one principle. So I, I'm just constantly just building bulleted lists, um, which become a huge outline. So I'd prefer working in a, like a Google doc versus having a bunch of cards. I like to keep these interviews as evergreen as possible, but we are, we are all going through this quarantine together. You talk about, um, some of the benefits of kind of enhancing your environment. Do you have any advice on that with limited space and just maybe separating, you know, work from rest while we're working at home? Oh my goodness, dude. I literally just wrote an article about this this morning. (laughs) It's called how emotionally intelligent people consume media. But uh, there's a few things I think about. One is, you know, the quote from, you know, uh, what's his name? Goldsmith where he said, if you do not, if we do not create and control our environment, our environment creates and controls us. Zig Ziglar said your input shapes your outlook. And so there's a few principles. One is be really aware of your inputs, be really aware of the information, the media, all the stuff you're consuming, which can easily wear you out or burn you out. Um, be strategically ignorant. You know, there's a thing I talk about in personalities and permanent. I also talk about in this article, as far as strategic ignorance, just realizing that a lot of the media out there isn't supportive of your goals and can actually throw your mindset off or your, you know, throw you into stress mode. It's not the idea of being radically ignorant. It's about being strategically ignorant. Um, just being aware of the impact of media and even of food or environments or situations on your mental health and also on your physical health. Um, so it's just about knowing what to avoid and being comfortable avoiding it. Um, the final concept, and again, it's in this article, which feel free to link it, but it's persuasion. You know, persuasion comes from Robert Cialdini and Robert Cialdini wrote the book influence, which is kind of the big psychology book on how to persuade and influence people. But his next book called persuasion talks a lot about how, what you're, what you're influenced by. Basically it's the idea that what you see first influences what you experience next, you know? So for a marketer, you'll see like an ad, you know, and then that'll, that'll shape how you see the next thing. And so I'm, I think it's really important to be aware of 
for example, like not looking at your cell phone right before you're trying to write, you know, or like not looking at your email or like watching junk media right before you're trying to write or not watching media right before you're trying to go to bed. Like what you do first influences how you experience what you do next. And so being really aware of the frame you're creating in your mind in order to do something, you know, like when I go home from work, I want to be in the right frame of mind so that I can be present and aware with my kids. And so I've got to be aware of what I consume right before I'm with them so that I'm in the right frame of mind. So it's just about being intentional about what you consume right before you're about to do something else. And that is our show. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time, make sure to hit that subscribe button on SoundCloud or iTunes. Also check out the new video essay series on YouTube called Creative Principles and give us a review. That's one of the best ways to help share these interviews. Thanks again.